0: Thanks for listening to the Voice Church podcast. We are a new life-giving multi-ethnic church located in Orange County, California. We meet every Sunday at 10:30 a.m. in Tustin. For more information, check out our social media or our website at www.voice.church. And now, let's tune in to this week's message. Go ahead and find your seats. Find your seat. Yeah, okay, so the question was what? Like fond memory of a grandparent? So I grew up in Chicago and uh, Chicago land area, uh, Northwest Burbs, and it's, it turns Siberia for four months a year. But, anyways, uh, my mom and dad came over uh, when they were in college, they met in college. My mom or my grandma, on my mom's side, Korean. She came over uh, to visit us, visit us like once or twice a year, and she's super Korean, like super Korean. And she was, she thought America was dangerous, I don't know, because of movies or whatever. So some of you guys like have like a, maybe a grandparent, like especially maybe uh, immigrant, you can rec- you'll, you'll like be able, to be able to relate. That's it, relate. My mind is like Burr. okay, so so she would hide her money inside of a waistband inside the front of like this dress pant thing she was wearing it almost looked like hammer pants but like linen you know what i mean so in her favorite thing every day literally i'm not even exaggerating every day if she was here for three weeks every day we're going to mcdonald's to get a big mac she loved big macs and she loved buying my brother and i stuff and so which is she always wanted to pay obviously because i was like a you know, eight years old or whatever, and she would dig into the front of her pants. She'd be like, "No, no, no, no!" And she would dig in the front of her pants, like reaching for gold inside of her pants, and then pull out money. It was just, it was a different time. Anyways, when I think about my grandma, I think about, I think about that. Anyways, <laughs> uh, so t- TMI, TMI. Welcome to church, guys. Um, hey, we're in a series right now called uh, "This Is the Way." This is the way. Uh, a little bit of recap for. Uh, kind of what we're talking about. There's some big ideas that we want to reiterate every single week. And, you know, one of the things, actually, before we hop into that, um, is I really prayed a lot about this morning because I really don't want today to be uh, like Debbie Downer or anyone to feel like guilt-tripped or shamed in any sort of way, but I do feel like what we're talking about today is so important, so central to the idea of following Jesus, but I don't want anyone, because here's the problem. Whenever you give like group announcements kind of thing, and any guys in leadership know this, the people that most need to hear it don't hear it, right? And And the people that are already doing it uh take it to heart and think they're like i they need to take it up a level okay and they're like beating themselves up that's not what this is but i want us to be clear about what it means to follow jesus from the words of jesus uh and see if are you willing to do that are you willing to do it so anyways so all i to say if you feel any sort of guilt or shame man you're that is not our mo at all but we do want to be clear about what it means to follow jesus and that's kind of what we, anyways, that's what we're talking about today. So we're in a series called uh, This is the Way. So those of you guys that have watched The Mandalorian uh, understand that there's this group called The Mandalorians, and they're from a planet called what? Mandalore, yeah. Some of you guys are like, I know more about Mandalorians than Jesus in this series. Anyways, uh, so uh, there's, they're from a uh, town, <laughs> a, a planet uh, called Mandalore, and they are kind of refugees scattered across uh, the known system at the time. And they would go to these different cultures, and they would, they would have to have, like, these times where their code of ethic, their code of culture would conflict with the local culture sometimes. And whenever they had to make a uniquely um, challenging decision, uh, the leader or the person making the decision would say what? This is the way. This is the way. And then everyone would repeat, this is the way. right? And so th- what they were saying is, look, there are the culture that we're a part of my own desires i don't want to do this a culture we're a part of doesn't want doesn't want us to do this but man this is the way this is the way we do things as mandalorians and so in other words what they were saying is this is what we've committed to you don't have to be mandalorian you can take off your helmet or whatever you want to do or you know but then you're not mandalorian anymore Right? And we talk about how every one of our, there's, there's cultures in our families, in our gyms, our workplaces, our classrooms, any group of people, your knitting club, your bowling league, like whatever group you're a part of, there's a culture there. There's a certain way of doing things that may be different from other classrooms and ninny clubs and bowling leagues and workplaces and, and families, right? And we as parents will say things like, hey, you know, to our kids, if you want to go to Susie's house and you want to live with Susie's parents, that's fine. That's cool that her parents are allowed her to do X, Y, Z or whatever. But in our house, in our family, under my roof, we're, we're, here's how we do things. This is our way, Right? leaders we say things like in our organization we value this or that or hey in our organizations we don't put up with this or that so your last job the, your last boss you may have been able to get away with or you may have prioritized that but here this is what we believe in other words what they're saying is this is the way here we talk about how how before jesus ever invited people to believe certain things he invited them into a way of living Right? Before he ever, ever said, hey, you want to be my disciple? Then believe this set of doctrine. Check out the website. Sign, he, know, he, said, he invited them to follow a certain way of living. And we talk about the fact that the first century Christians were not known as Christians. They were known as followers of what? The way. They were known as followers of the way because they had the audacity to follow this certain way of living. And the Greek word for the way actually it directly means a whole way of life. A whole way of life. So there will be countless times where culture will pull you in a direction that is outside the way of Jesus. And in those moments, we talked about do you follow culture or do you follow Jesus? There will be countless times when your workplace culture or your family of origin culture will pull you in a way that's like, well, man, I know Jesus asked me to do this, but man, this is kind of how we do things at at my job. This is kind of how we do things in my industry. That's just how things are done. Okay, in that moment, do you follow your workplace culture? or do you follow Jesus? In your own personal life there will be countless times if you're human, which I think most of us are, right? That you want to do certain things and then there's the way of Jesus. In those moments, do you choose to follow you or do you follow the way of Jesus? You cannot follow Jesus without denying yourself. And this is the crux of the conversation. This is the crux of the conversation. Who are you following? Who are you following? One of the tensions we wrestled with over and over again in this series is that you can be a Christian. You can believe the right things, you can go to church, you can be part of a small group, you can volunteer, you can tithe, all that stuff. You can can be called a Christian, yet not follow in the way of Jesus at all. You can be completely convinced of the ideas of Jesus and say amen to that. That is a good thing, but not be committed to any of the ways of Jesus in any practical way. We see this all the time. Not in your life, obviously, but in other people that you know, right? Craig Rochelle, years ago, came out with a book called Practical Atheist. It's actually a really good book. And he talks about his own struggle as a megachurch pastor, right? Really down-to-earth guy, but megachurch pastor. He, he, he says that a lot of times, him speaking, I can follow Jesus with my words, but practically speaking, I live like an atheist. If you looking at my time, my finances, how I handle relationships, a lot of times I, I actually live like an atheist. So... The idea, the idea that you can just believe a set of doctrine but not actually follow Jesus would be a completely foreign concept to the first century church. So, what Jesus did was not only teach this, he modeled it. He modeled it. And what's so important for us to realize is the world is not asking us, they're not asking the church to preach more, to teach more, to post about it, or to, to, to kind of stuff it down people's throats. They're desperate for us to model it, right? They're desperate for us to live it, for actually just for us to live out what we say we believe. And for those of you that spent any time away from church, maybe you used to go to church, you got disillusioned by church, or you got frustrated with leadership or whatever. What did you want? What did you want in that moment? Did you want someone to preach? Did you want someone to give you a Bible verse? What did you do when you saw hypocrisy? What did you want? Didn't you want someone just to live it out? Consistently? Unglamorously? Without having to post about it on social media? But that way that they lived actually looked like the way of Jesus? Because even, I, 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 there were so many times where I wanted to walk away from the church. So many times. Trust me. I have seen where the sausage is made over and over again. And there's so many times i wanted to walk away from the church. I've seen so much stuff that I, I wish I didn't see. And in those moments, I never gave up on Jesus, right? I just wanted to know, are people really doing this? Are people really following him? Or is it all a charade? So, voice, who we are as a church family, who we are, what we desire to be are people whose main concern is to become better and better followers of Jesus. Not better and better service production, better and better teaching style, better and, better and cooler and hype-filled social media. All the, none of that stuff is bad. But what we desire to be is to be better and better followers of Jesus in every area of our lives so that people in every area of our lives can see how great God is. So with that in mind, that's going to set the tone for what we're about to dive into. Kind of a, It's a really short passage, actually. But we're going to unpack it. We're actually, it, Jesus predicts his own death. Really fun Sunday morning topic, right? So it's Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, uh, and it says this. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. So something shifts here. He's getting closer to the end, and his tone changes to his disciples. And so it goes on to say, he says, to tell his disciples plainly, not cryptic, plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. Let's not be, uh, you know, dodgy about this. He would be killed. He would suffer. And not suffer like, they're going to make fun of me at the lunchroom table. Okay, like, they're going to, like, suffer. And they're going to kill him. They're going to execute him. And on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. What's interesting is as he's telling his disciples plainly what's going to happen so they don't miss it, verse 22, it says, but Peter took him aside. Think about the audacity here. Jesus is being vulnerable, saying, hey, look, we're we're entering the last few days. Here's what's going to happen. You need to know that I know what's going to happen, and I'm walking into it. I'm not walking away from Jerusalem. I'm walking towards this. This needs to happen. And Peter's like, oh, buddy, buddy. Pulls him aside, begins to reprimand him. Can you imagine that? Peter's reprimanding Jesus for saying such things. He says, Heaven forbid, Lord. He said, This will never happen to you. How crazy is that? Peter rebukes Jesus. Now, I think his intentions are really good. I think most of us in this situation would have done the very same thing as Peter. He was was gracious enough not to do it in front of Jesus. He doesn't want to undermine his leadership. He pulls him aside. Can I talk to you for a second? Hey, this isn't going to happen to you. Heaven forbid. This will never happen. What's happening here? Peter can't imagine life without Jesus. He gave up everything. His life is following Jesus. And he thinks, this may be what Jesus says, but I know better than Jesus. I know better than Jesus. I'm going to set him straight. He's just... He missed it here. I'm just going to let him know what's actually going to happen. Jesus, this will never happen to you. And how does Jesus respond? Kind of over the top. Here's what he says, verse 23, the very next verse. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Okay, super encouraging. Some of your Bible verses you may have memorized as, get thee behind me, Satan, right? And I've heard this taught, I believe, incorrectly, where it's like, no, Jesus saw Satan in the room and told Satan to get behind him so that Jesus could stand between Satan and Peter. What? We don't see that at all, actually. I think we want to dodge around the fact that Jesus literally calls Peter Satan. And any Any uh, Bible encyclopedia, any commentary worth its salt will say exactly that. Jesus calls Peter Satan. He wasn't being mean. He goes on to say, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You are a dangerous trap to me. That what you're saying, Peter, could ruin everything. You know what makes a trap dangerous is that it's enticing, right? That's what makes a lie good, is when it's like 90% truth, but there's a little seed of a lie. What makes a trap work is because it has a lure that works for you, right? And the lure here is you're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. It'll be fine. Jesus wasn't being mean. He goes on to say, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. What Jesus is trying to help Peter understand is that his suffering and his execution was so central to his mission that to take it out would be to sideline, side rail God's plan. That Jesus's suffering and execution was so critical to the gospel that it had to happen or else God's plan doesn't exist. The only one that would benefit from Jesus not suffering and being executed would be Satan. And so unknowingly, Peter was pushing for Satan's agenda with good intentions. What happens was Peter was being driven by human concern. The only lens that Peter was looking through was one focused on human wants, human concerns, and human desires. And I'm telling you, so many times when we go astray from God's way of living, it's simply because with good intentions, we're looking at human concerns, human wants, and human desires. There's so many times I've seen myself, I've seen other Christians, I've seen entire churches act in ways that is so antithetical to the way of Jesus. But if you can just walk a mile in their shoes, you get it. You get why they're acting that way. Because they're focused on their wants, their concerns, their desires. They're walking in their way, not the ways of Jesus. And so what Peter is saying is, or Jesus is saying is, Peter, you're only looking at things from a human perspective. Jesus says, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be executed. But Peter wants a more comfortable way, right? Surely this will never happen to you, Lord. Peter wants a more convenient way. Peter wants a more preferable way. Look, I'm not going to let this happen to you. In response to this mentality of putting human concerns first, human comforts first, this mentality of avoiding suffering, avoiding discomfort, in order to go on a path that would be better for me, Jesus brings them all in. So I'm about to read you a verse that we've all heard so many times, but this is the context of the verse. It's so important we read scripture, we read it in context. Or we can make scripture say whatever we want it to say. The context of what Jesus is about to say is that Peter, with good intentions, doesn't want Jesus to suffer that Peter is only seeing things through human eyes, through through the preference for human comfort, human ambition. It's not bad until it conflicts with what Jesus is saying. And so essentially Jesus like pulls the team in, goes, come on, bring it in, guys, bring it in. Everyone take a knee. And he says this, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That's what he said in response to, hey, Jesus, I'm not going to let you suffer. Really? Okay, listen. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross, and you have to follow me. You're about to see me do something. I'm going first. Do this too. So let's unpack this. Wants. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Wants is not desire. It's not like whoever desires to be my disciple. The word there for, for want is actually purpose decide choose so what jesus is saying is you don't drift drift into becoming my follower you don't even believe your way into becoming my follower you choose to be my follower right that's so why the old testament it says that choose this day whom you will serve you know, you know those first choose this day whom you will serve as for me and my house we will serve the lord some of your parents have like, had this like embroidered or crocheted above the like the, the coffee table kind of area right As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But it says choose. It doesn't say feel. So many of us are waiting to to make a decision because we're waiting to feel something. Look, so many times you'll never feel your way into acting. Right? How's that working out for you? You can always act your way into feeling. Right emotions come after right choices. Right? But he's saying you, you can't feel your way into being my follower. You can't even believe your way into becoming my follower. You choose to be my follower. You decide to be my follower. It's a choice. So Jesus is saying, once you choose to be my disciple, here are the three prerequisites. First one, deny yourself. Right out of the gate, deny yourself. Central to the call of following Jesus is a call to self-denial. This is so hard for humans. This is so hard for Western Christians. This is so hard for OC, Southern California residents. We do not like to deny ourselves. Boba let alone anything important, right? It's like, we don't like to, it's like, I want it, I deserve it, I get it, I've had a hard day, right? So, central to the call of Jesus is the call to self-denial, to deny ourselves of our self-centered appetites, to want more and to want it now, regardless of what the cost. There's something inside of all of us, we want more and we want it now. The word deny here, of deny yourselves, is the same deny as when Peter denied Jesus three times. What the the word deny means is like to to disassociate yourself from. That's what Peter was doing. He was denying Jesus. Now, he was saying, I don't know him. I'm I'm not even connected to him. That same idea here is when Jesus says deny yourself, disassociate yourself from these self-centered, self-focused impulses. Now, look, this isn't saying that you're not important. You are important, just like everybody else. Right? This is not a call to unhealthy boundaries. This is not a call to self-loathing. This is not a call to ignore your mental health. That's not what I'm saying. This is a recognition. Denying yourself is a recognition that you are not the center of your universe. I'm not. God is. It's a recognition that your desires aren't the most important. God's are. And this is so unnatural. It's natural for all of us to focus on ourselves, our desires, and our wants. All of us, we focus on our desires, our wants, right? And if you don't believe me, you ever been around kids, right? Those of you guys that serve in voice kids or you have your own kids, you know this. What's the kid's first word other than dad? No. Mine. No one has, no, no like preschool teacher has to go, All right, class, today we have to teach you how to be selfish, right? We're going to teach you to not share. We're going to teach you to bully and think of yourself first. Kids just do that, right? We have to teach them to disassociate. I know, I know you want the crayon, but can they use it too, right? You have to disassociate yourself from self centers The problem is we get older and we mask it. We learn what's socially acceptable. We learn how to control our words. Some of you guys are like RBF. You know, how to, you learn how to control your face, right? You learn that my facial expressions communicate things or reveal maybe what's really going on inside of my heart, what I'm really thinking. Because if you, on the outside, you may be like, man, they're such a great listener. They're so kind. They're so encouraging. But if we could see what's going on in your head, if we could hear what's going on in your heart, it would not look the same, Right? There's self-centeredness in all of us still working under the surface. So to deny yourself is swimming upstream for so many of us. I'd say for all of us. Because there's something inside of us, there's something in culture that says, man, you deserve it. You earned it. Look out for yourself. Right? Get the Lexus with a big bow on it. Right? You'll never see Lexus come out with a billboard or a commercial that says, your car's fine. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's great. Remember when you're, you first got your car? It was a blessing. It still runs. You don't, come on. You don't need any more debt right now. You'll never see them do that. You ever buy something from, from uh, like not from Amazon, right? And then you're going, wait, you're charging me for shipping? What? What is that? What is this shipping charge you speak of? And it's going to take a week to get here? I should be able to order this. and should be here in an hour, right? Like, This is, we want it, we want more, and we want it now. And Jesus says, I get it, it's normal, it's normal, but not for us, not for us. To follow me, Jesus' words, to follow me is to leave behind selfishness. And we recognize, you know there's parts of your life that need to be denied, to be denied. We all recognize this, there's parts of your life, the impulses, the desires that you know that are lurking in the shadows of your heart that have not served you well, right? Right? They have not, there's stuff that your friends know about and there's stuff that no one will ever know about because there's impulses and desires inside of you that have led your heart astray, that have not served you, that have not served your family, that have not served God. And so I think we look at that stuff and go, amen to that, we need to deny that stuff. But here's the other part. Jesus doesn't just just say say to deny that stuff. There's parts of us that are good. Parts of us that are good, hopes and dreams and ambition, goals, goals kind of the rise and grind hustle culture. And Jesus says to follow him, we have to surrender those to God too. And the problem is, those are applauded. They're applauded. Jesus says, if those things ever conflict with my plan, you've already predecided what you're going to choose. And this is hard because ambition is good, proactivity is good, having dreams is good until they become so much your focus that we're willing to leave everything else behind, we're willing to put God on the side burner for us to focus on that. Some of us, your dreams, your ambitions, your promotions or whatever, the the mission that you're doing through work, none of that stuff is bad, I think, unless you're like selling drugs in the corner. But like that ambition is not bad unless you are willing to give so much focus to that. When's the last time you asked God what his plans are? That God is off here somewhere. Jesus' plans are off here somewhere. That really when you come down to it, you're not following Jesus' plans. You're following your plan. There's a very big difference between us going, Jesus, will you bless the work I'm doing? Right? If we, we're praying that a lot, then maybe we're not following Jesus as much as we could because what we, the approach we really should have is, Jesus, what are you up to? What do you want to do in my life and through my life? Where can I go to follow you? That will already be blessed, right? Look, I get it. I love being in control. I love it. I need it, right? I mean, I can't even, I have a really hard time if I'm in a car that someone else is driving. Even if it's their car. Specifically if it's their car, right? I know some of you guys are there with me. Like there's so many of my friends that know this. They're like, even if we take their car, they know that, hey, Taco, why don't you drive? Yes, thank you. That's, that's a win-win, right? I get it. I love control. But this is important. We have to deny ourselves. Deny ourselves control. So he says, deny yourself. Second one, he says, take up your cross. Take up your cross. For us, we're like, yeah, take up your cross. I got the necklace. I have the, you know. For them in the first century, Jesus' hears, when they hear deny yourself, we get that. A lot of rabbis teach that. Take up your cross. That would have stopped them in their tracks. Why? Because your cross was horrifying the cross was humiliating to the point where rome wouldn't even execute roman citizens this way this is for everybody else but not for our own people so when he says take up your cross his disciples knew exactly what crucifixion was they had walked by people that they saw carrying the cross beam to the execution site look in their eyes that they'll never forget They've walked past rows of people on crosses dying. They've seen people that have died in the previous hours or days still hanging on the cross, people that they knew, naked, humiliated. Their family wanted to take the body down, but they're not able to. They're just up there for the world to see. And Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, there's going to be a cost. If you want to follow me, there has to be a death of an old way of life. And again, this is something we don't preach a lot of times in in America because it's like, oh, but doesn't Jesus want me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and have all this prosperity and, and, you know, a bunch of kids? And This is Jesus' words. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Take up your cross. There has to be a death to the old way of life. This is what baptism is, right? Paul talks about baptism as symbolic of dying with Jesus and being resurrected into new life. There has to be a death. So many of us, we want to add Jesus as like our life coach to the stuff we're already doing. Do you know Jesus has bigger concerns than you being prosperous? Your 401k going up and to the right, right? Your promotion at work. Those things are good until they compete with what God wants to do. So, here's a question for you, and I hope this bothers you. You're here to say this over and over again. But has following Jesus cost you anything? Has following Jesus cost you anything? You're like, yeah, I have to listen to you talk. Yeah, yeah. Has following Jesus cost you anything? Am I costing you your comfort? Am I costing you your convenience? Am I costing you your personal ambition? Am I costing you your reputation? What's interesting is, I couldn't find one example where any other rabbi ever taught to take up your cross. This was not a normal thing to teach. Deny yourself? Totally. Take up your cross? No one else that we know have taught this except Jesus. So he says, deny yourself. Take up your cross, and then follow me. Follow me. This is present tense. What he's saying is, this is the new rhythm of your life. This is the new rhythm of your life. Not... I will follow you after I get done with this or that. You know, there's other people who, who came to Jesus says, I want to be your disciple, but I need to do this or that first. And he would, he would say some pretty audacious things like, let the dead bury the dead, right? What he's saying is, hey, don't tell me what you're going to do to follow me in the future. Follow me, right? So it's not about, I will follow God. i just going through a busy season right now, but I will follow him later. I've just got stuff i got to figure out. That's not following Jesus. But also at the same time, following Jesus today is not saying, I got a pass because, you know what I did? 20 years ago, I followed Jesus hardcore when I was in high school or in college. Do you know what I sacrificed? Do you know how much I gave to this or that thing? Do you know how much I volunteered? I went on so many mission trips. Cool, great, gold star for you. Are you following Jesus today? Are you following Jesus today? What Jesus is saying is, today, are you denying yourself? Taking up your cross and following him today? And what's so interesting about this is his disciples in that moment, I think they would have been paralyzed. Just going, oh, I need to think about this. And before they ever have a chance to really process it, they're about to see Jesus go, I'll go first. Do you think I'm not ready to do this? You'll see me deny myself. You'll see me literally take up my cross. And then I'm going to ask you to follow me. He continues, verse 25, he says, whoever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We've heard this preached so many times. Again, it's that same word, want. In other words, it's not whoever desires to save their life, it's whoever chooses to focus on their life only, is what Jesus is saying. Whoever chooses to make themselves and their dreams and their ambition the most important thing in their lives. The people that do that miss the whole point. The ones that only focus on themselves, their desires, their ambitions, their comfort, their promotion, they miss the whole point. What Jesus is not saying is that if you focus only on your life, that you won't have fun. When I was in high school, this was like the youth group the, the youth, group, the youth group message all the time of like, if you don't follow Jesus, your life's going to suck, and all your friends will leave you, and you're going to be depressed, and that's not true. I had a lot of fun before I followed Jesus, Right? That's not true. Jesus is not saying you're not going to have fun. Jesus is not going to say you're not going to have enjoyment. Jesus is not going to say you're not going to have great stuff. He's saying you're going to miss the whole point of life. That one day, one day, when you're on the other side of eternity and you see with crystal clear clarity what life is really all about, you're going to wish you could have go back in time and live differently. He's saying that you'll lose what's most important from God's perspective, but there's another way. Continues, verse 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The ironic thing is, Jesus knows you can't gain the whole world. Even the richest people in the world don't even own a state, let alone a country or the world. Right? Jesus is saying, but even if you could gain the whole world, still wouldn't be worth it right? Because in all of us, again, is this desire for a little more, a little more, a little more. And Jesus is saying, even if you got a little more to the nth degree that you got everything that there is, it would still be a really crappy exchange. Even if you got everything, all the promotions, all the stuff, all the power, it still wouldn't be worth it. But the truth is, for so many of us, for, I think for all of us at some level, we're honest, we all put God on the back burner for far less than the whole world. Don't we? John D. Rockefeller, you ever heard of him? Uh, 30 Rock guy? Yeah. Anyways, uh, first billionaire. First billionaire, richest man on the planet at his time. He's famously uh, quoted as uh, when a reporter asked him, how much is enough? You guys know what he said? Just a little more. Just a little more. Now, I think it was a little tongue in cheek, as he was actually a a believer, gave a ton to his like Baptist church, and served, and gave a ton of philanthropic philanthropic stuff. But even I think what he was saying is you recognize inside all of us that we just want a little more. That the human desire is unquenchable. So let me ask you, whatever you're pursuing, whatever you're pursuing, when will it be enough? When will it be enough? Some of us are p- pursuing influence. Man, if I just get more influence, more of a platform, then, then, but I, I need, this is what I need to focus on. When will it be enough? What's the follower count? What's the, the speaking gig, the influence? What, what, what will be enough? What letters after your name will be enough? For some of us, it's money and all the stuff and comfort that money buys. When will it be enough? Some of us, it's power and status. When will it be enough? Jesus is saying Look, that stuff isn't bad, but you have to live for something more significant than that. What Jesus is doing here is giving a cost-benefit analysis, right? Listen, we do this all the time. We're, like, look, we're willing to pay costs as long as we think it's worth it, right? Like growing up, my parents loved buffets, right? Because we can eat once a day at a buffet. I was 13 years old forever. I was like always on the kid's menu, a kid's price, you know, like like shaving, and I'm still 13 years old, right? Um, moderate cost, infinite benefit, right? And My parents would always tell us, "We're gonna," st- I remember, I remember my dad go, "We're gonna stick it to him. we're gonna stick it to it, right?" You don't eat until you're full, like a healthy person. You eat until you never want to eat again, right? It's like some of you guys that grew up in a household that like, this is what a buffet was. It, it wasn't. It was, it was a cost-benefit analysis my parents were doing, right? We're not afraid of costs. The big question for all of us is, I'm willing to pay the cost, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And we all of us splurge for things that we love. And I'd even say that the more you love something, if it doesn't cost much, you devalue it, right? Like if you're really into sushi, like you guys are like the $400 omakase, you, that's, that's your jam. If I go, look, Albertsons, 50 cent sushi, like don't trust it, don't trust it, right? Some of you guys like really, you're travel, you want a vacation. Did, $100, all-inclusive, two-week European tour. Nope, I'm going to get abducted. I'm going to disappear. I don't trust it, right? Like, you don't, if, you'll devalue it if it's, if it's cheap. So, foodies, car nuts, travel junkies, artists, whatever you're into, all of us are into something. Then the very thing that you're into, the person next to you probably think it's, think it's weird that you're willing to spend that much money on the thing that you love, right? All of us. Like, I have a problem with bags, i love bags duffel bags backpacks love them i could have a ton of them i love cars i don't have a fleet of them but i I would love to have a fleet of cars right it's like we were like what's your favorite car like david and i were talking before the church what's your favorite car i'm like i i have a 10 like 10 that's minimum like you need at least four motorcycles 10 cars anyways but other people go what's the big deal it's just it's just a vehicle But all of us are into something that you're super into, that you're willing to pay for, and the person next to you might think it's weird that you're willing to pay that much for that thing because that's the strange thing to put your money towards. Right? Jesus is saying, there's a cost, and it's high, but it's worth it. The cost is high, but it's worth it. Some of us have followed Jesus for so long, and it's cost us nothing. And anytime it costs us something, we bail. Right? So, Following Jesus is marked by daily denying, daily sacrifice, and daily following. Following Jesus is marked by daily denying, daily sacrifice, and daily following. Can I challenge you? An easy place to start is just to set time aside every day to pray, to read your Bible, and then ask Jesus, is there anything in my life that's out of bounds? Are there any of my actions, my habits, my thought life, the way I treat people? Is anything out of bounds? And just... Set 10 minutes. And that'll grow to 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Some of you guys spend over an hour doing just praying, reading your Bible, and then asking God, man, would you highlight anything? Like, like David prayed, man, search me, O oh God. See if there's anything in me that is out of line with you. And I know the minute I say this some of you guys are like, I don't have time. I don't have that time. I think you do. And I think if we were to look at the screen time on your phone, your phone would tell us in really clear, really clear that you do have time. But that's too much of a cost. So, easy place to start is just set some time aside. Set some time aside. Second question here. Where are you putting yourself before the way of following Jesus? Where are you putting yourself before following the way of Jesus? My youth pastor used to tell me about this guy named Jim Elliott. You guys know what Jim Elliott is? He's a missionary. Uh, he was a missionary. He passed away. He led a, um, a group of friends to the Alca Indians in Ecuador, in the rainforest, and they would fly out of a town called Siquia, and they would fly in. They would fly over the Alca Indians. Alca Indians were, were cannibals, and uh, cannibalistic tribe. And it was actually a group of tribes. And they would drop food, Bible tracts, clothing, supplies, things that would kind of bless the Alca Indians. And they would tell them, "We're coming. We're coming. We're coming." You know, please welcome us. And so they did that. They, when they finally landed along the riverbank, they were immediately executed by the Alka Indians. What happened is, little by little, the Alka Indians started to read the Bible tracts. And they're going, why would this, th- this guy knows who we are. Why would they come anyways? And they started reading the Bible tracts and going, this is just like what this guy did and what his friends did is just what Jesus did. He sacrificed because he loved us. And little by little, they started becoming believers. To so now the Alka Indians today, for the most part, are Christian tribes. Just fascinating. Years after Jim Elliott went there, I actually was, was uh, really fortunate enough to take a group, uh, about 15 of us, on a mission trip. And we launched out of Sakua, same thing, and then went. And then we had a hike like 12 hours into the bush to go to this one tribe who had never heard the gospel before. And I remember, I'll never forget it, we were you know, kind of preaching. And uh, through a translator, and then the, the tribal chief came over and he wanted to talk to me alone uh, with the translator. I'm like, "This is where I die. This is it. This is it." So, pulls him aside and he goes, "How do I do it?" Essentially, how do I do it? It's like, "What?" He's like, "How do I follow Jesus?" So, I got to walk this tribal chief through the gospel. And uh, when he, and then after, after I explained to him, he just goes, "Okay." It's like, "Okay, what?" He goes, "Okay, we're a Christian tribe now." It's like, "Okay." So we, w- we go back, and he tells, essentially, uh, the tribe, hey, listen to this pastor, this missionary, and he's going to tell us what we all believe now. And so it was like the, the weirdest hierarchy structure. And, and so walking through the gospel, pretty much everyone decided to follow Jesus. And then he goes, what do we do now? I was like, the Bible says we baptize you. He goes, okay. So we walk them all down. I have like pictures of this. We walked them down to this tributary off the Amazon River. We baptized the whole tribe. It was awesome. But here's what Jim Elliott says, and this is uh, kind of encapsulated his life, and this is so important for us today. It says this. He said that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose so many of us are pursuing things that we can so easily lose. And I think Jim Elliott today would say, it was worth it. It was worth it. So, what are you holding on to that's competing with your obedience to Jesus? What are you pursuing that's more important than pursuing Jesus? Jesus has a better way. And I'm telling you, at the beginning, it looks like loss. It looks like sacrifice. Because it is. There's a cost to it. But it's the path to true life. This is the way. And for us as Voice Church, if we want to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like. I want to be very clear about that. Following Jesus is about way more than just going to church, singing us a fast song and two slow songs and hearing a TED talk and going home. Right? Maybe a TEDx talk. <laughs> Following Jesus is about saying, God, all of me, I deny myself. I will take off whatever cross. I will bear whatever cost you have for me, and I will follow you to the ends of the earth. God, it's not about God, will you bless the stuff I'm doing? It's God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. How do I follow you? And if that's what you want to be a part of, you're in the right church. This is the way. This is how we follow Jesus. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message at Voice Church. We hope it inspired you to live a life more faithfully for Jesus and to be a voice of hope for your community. We'd love for you to join us in person on a Sunday. And until then, we hope you have a beautiful week.